You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Right. God only knows what I'd be without you. Does anybody know the name of that song and who sings it? Who sings it? Yes, right. I think there's one still alive. Is that right? Maybe not. Maybe a couple. It's been a while. So today we're talking about real friends. Our last episode in the series of Real Friends. So this is our third week. And I want to talk about something that uh, Pastor Trent gave us the definition of real friends in the beginning, that real friends help us grow closer to Jesus. And this is a really important definition. I mean, I thought that was the best part. If there's nothing else in this series that I've come away with, and I hope I want to encourage you today to uh, embrace that definition that real friends help us grow closer to Jesus. We all have friends, some kind of friends. We have Facebook friends. We have Instagram followers. We have tweeters who retweet things that we say. But real friends help us grow closer to Jesus. We all have people that we watch games with, football, basketball, sport games with, fish with, go out to eat with couple friends, friends we shop with, friends we go to coffee with, uh, Snapchat streak friends, people we camp with. But do they help you grow closer to Jesus? Many times our friendships become an illusion There is something that makes us feel like or look like these people are close to us and that there's a connection. But in reality, they're not. And when we boil down to what real friends are, and if we use this definition, they they help us grow closer to Jesus, we begin to realize that the the, the, the people that are around us, if that's our definition of real friends, the pool begins to shrink. And even though I enjoy being with these people, and I, I, I like this, and I like them, and I like doing this with this group, and this with this, the idea of who are those people that are in my life that have entered a, a really inner circle kind of place? There's a soul connection because we do Jesus together, and we help each other grow closer to Christ. And, and even among Christians, there are many who would say, I don't have people like that. I don't even know people like that. And so as we look at this today, I want to add one layer to that. Not only do real friends help us grow closer to Jesus, but real friends do life together. As we're helping each other grow closer to Jesus, we are doing life together. Because I can't grow closer to Jesus without people doing life with me who are helping me do that. So as we look at this today, I want to look at the greatest, not really small group, but the greatest group, the most amazing relationships and healthy environment that you'll find in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's a definition or a description of the very first church. So if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, 
Jesus has walked 40 days after his resurrection. He has ascended back into heaven in Acts chapter 1. We are told to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In Acts chapter 2, they are in a room praying, and the Holy Spirit comes down in tongues of fire, and, and they begin to speak in a language such that those who are listening from all the world, all tribes and tongue and languages around the world, can hear what the disciples are saying in their own language. Peter breaks out and he preaches this short sermon and 3,000 people get saved that day. And then we have a description in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, of these believers now who are learning what it means to grow closer to Jesus together and do life together. In verse 42, uh, Dr. Luke who writes the book of Acts, says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the most incredible story of a group of people who were helping each other grow closer to Jesus, but also very intentionally and deeply and in a soul-connected way doing life together. So I want to look at three characteristics that jump out at us as it relates to small group, as it relates to groups, as it relates to doing life together with real friends. And the first thing that I think jumps out to me is right in the middle of that section, verse 44, they, they had all things in common. They had all things in common. Now, many of you are followers of Christ, and you're here as a part of a fellowship called Foothills Church. Also, some of you are in small groups. You're doing life with a few people. And this idea of they had all things in common. Does your small group say that? You know what? It's awesome that we have all things in common. All the partners of Foothill Church, what we call our members, our partners, that all of us have all things in common. Is that true of us? They had a deep soul connection, something only followers of Jesus Christ can have. This word common is the Greek word koina. And in verse 42, where it translates fellowship, it's the same word, koinonia. It's a longer version of that same word, koina and koinonia. And it has this understanding of a relationship between individuals, which involves a common interest and a mutual active participation in that interest and in each other. A common interest 
where the people have a mutual and active participation with each other. Mutual, active participation. You know, I've got some people in my life that we're connected to. I might even call them friends, maybe acquaintances. But we are not mutually active in our participation. I feel like I'm giving a little more with some. And they're not giving as much. You got any relationships like that? Some of you may be married and go, yes, I have a very specific relationship like that. Because real friends in this koina koinonia commonness, both of them mutually are actively participating in the relationship. And as it relates to biblical spiritual stuff, as we're talking about today, there's a mutual active participation in helping one another grow closer to life and equally doing life together. When relationships get lopsided, the relationship is awkward. Maybe you're in a relationship and somebody is more mutually active, participating in trying to make this work than you are. Maybe you're the one more mutually actively. There's no mutual part to it. But this commonness, this real friendness can only happen when both parties have a mutual active participation. That's why even though some people come to church and claim to be Christ followers, but that's all they do, they're not mutually actively participating in this Christian koinonia, this Christian commonness, this soul-connected bond that we all are supposed to have as Christ followers, as they had in Acts chapter 2. The New Testament was written in Greek, and when it was translated into Latin, this word koina and koinonia was translated into the Latin word communio, where we get our word community in English, commune, community, communication, common. There's a oneness to this idea. There, there is a fellowship to this idea. There is a togetherness to this idea. We are one. We are common. As followers of Christ, we have something that is deeply common that those who are not followers of Jesus Christ do not have with us. There's a soul connection. And, and, and in that soul connection between us, it transcends our gender. It transcends our race. It transcends our family of origin. It transcends our country and our country's citizenship. It transcends our status in life. It's a new identity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you are a, those of you who are in Christ are a new creation. And then Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Jew or non-Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male. There is no female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is phenomenal. 
Because when you understand this, this idea of when you came and became a follower of Christ, something transformational happened. It transcended your gender. It transcended your race. It transcended your country of origin. It transcended your status in life. It it, it was beyond that. God has created a new race. He has created a new culture. And it is called in Christ. I am not first male or female. I am first in Christ. I am not first an American. I am in Christ. I, I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not rich or poor. I'm not smart or not smart. I, I'm in Christ. God has created this new identity, this new creation, this new culture that is in Christ. These in Christ people have a deep common connection with other people, these other followers of Jesus, and their identity has been transformed. They also are new creations in Christ, and the Holy Spirit has been downloaded into these new creations in Christ. They have been baptized by immersion into this new community called in Christ. There is something deeply so connected about a follower of Jesus Christ. It transcends everything. It transforms everything. I've often, when I thought about this, and I go to things where they say, you know, they want to do a, a survey of me or something, or they're trying to get my information, and they, they go things like, you know, um, male or female, and I go, I'm neither. I just want to go, I'm neither. I'm in Christ. I identify by creation as a male. (laughs) And then they go, so what's your country of origin? I have no country of origin. I am in Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I can imagine if we would do that, by the time they get to what's your address, they'd be like, never mind. I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You know, that's my address, right? I mean, this is nuts, right? I mean, this is who we are. I'm not sure we understand the magnitude of what took place at our conversion. This transcends everything. Many of you know, a couple weeks ago, we had a team from Foothills in Zambia, Africa. And when we got off the plane, there were Zambian African people there to greet us, people who did not look like us, people who did not talk like us. But the moment we were greeted with this heavy accent by these Africans, they looked at us and said, blessings and greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I immediately thought, we're common. We've got the same identity. We've got the same culture. We've got the same new creation about us. We're in Christ. We're one. We're a fellowship. We're koina. We're koinonia. We're one. We're common. We're brothers. We're sisters. Here we are. Part of this new identity, new gender, new race, new status, called in Christ.
And I have more in common with that African brother and sister, 8,000 miles away, who is in Christ, than I do a Caucasian American living in my own neighborhood 20 yards away. That's true. There's something common. There's something communal. There's something community. There's a soul connection. And because of that, we are able to be real friends. Not ballgame friends, shopping friends, coffee friends, camping friends. Real friends. This is what small group is supposed to be about. A community who has something in common that no one really understands except the people who are so connected in this new identity called in Christ. Real friends. If you are closer, perhaps, and more connected with people who do not have this new identity, who who do not have this new culture of in Christ, if you are better friends with people who who are far from God or separated from God or not connected, the Holy Spirit does not reside in them, I would say that's a red flag for you. Are you confiding more with those outside the new culture of in Christ? Do you hang with those outside this new culture and feel more connected to those than you do those who are in Christ? Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about not having friends. I've got a lot of friends that aren't Christian, but we're not so connected. And they're not my closest real friends. Real friends have all things in common. There's a koinonia. There is a commonness, a oneness, a soul connection. And then secondly, these characteristics of these folks who do life together, they they served one another. Verse 45 This is amazing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Well, that's a little bit radical. I mean, I kind of want to say, turn to your neighbor and tell them a story about the last time you sold something to help somebody, one of your brothers and sisters in need. But it might be a short conversation, right? This is what it means for us to be church. This is what it means for us to be common, to be in Christ. Yes. Yes. This was a normal part. And what does it say? And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing to the proceeds to how many? To all as any had need. As folks were becoming Christians, they were losing their jobs. As people were becoming Christian, Jewish people were pushing them out. And they were many who had needs. 
They were a communal society and genuinely cared about one another and each other's needs. People were not talking about how to be comfortable or how to fix their retirement plan or how to figure out ways to meet their own needs and take care of their family. They were selling their possessions and belongings and stuff to give to those in their community who had need. Who had need. Now, this is a challenging conversation for us and for our culture. It's really challenging. And and this is not our fault. We didn't create this culture but, but we don't live in a communal culture. We live in an individualistic culture. We just are naturally born and bred to think about me first. We don't necessarily think community first. We don't think society first. We don't think our village first. We don't necessarily think our tribe first. We, we think of us first, our family first, what do we need What do we need to get? What do we need to be safe? There are other cultures all around the world that are communal cultures. Just as we're bent to think about us individually and how are we doing and are we successful and are we okay and are we comfortable, they are bent to think about we, not me. And and. And one of those places is Africa. You know you're going to get a lot of Africa stories from me, right? So, so I remember showing up one day years ago, and, and they walked up. And we, as we walked up, they go, oh, the refrigerator people are here. And I was like a little hurt. I was like, I know I'm big, but refrigerator, refrigerator is a little offensive, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about that. Fridge, that's rough. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean the refrigerator people? And they said, well, when, when you guys have leftovers, you put them in your refrigerator. When we have leftovers, we go out into the community to see who didn't have food today. So that one day when we don't have food, maybe they'll have leftovers and they'll bring us food. And I went, in deep shame... Oh, like when I eat, I got to be honest, I'm not really thinking about you. I really, like a shock, I really don't have a lot of leftovers. (laughs) It probably wouldn't hurt if I did, I get it. But while they're eating... They're thinking of other people that might not be eating. Isn't that amazing? They're not thinking about me. They're thinking about we. The community, the village. There's a great African word that says Ubuntu. It's a word that conveys the idea that the individual and the community are linked together so tightly that they both exist because of each other and for each other. That my well-being is directly linked to your well-being. I can't be good and okay if you're not good and okay. So I don't walk around saying I'm so successful If you're struggling and you're not successful, i got to figure out how we both can be successful. 
And, and in this culture where these Christians were coming out of this Jewish culture that was bent toward community, they were, they were a bent communal culture, they were selling what they had and what they needed to sell, their possessions, their belongings, their stuff, extra stuff. They didn't pay to put their stuff in a storage room. They, they, they sold it to give to the brothers and sisters who did not have food or the basic needs. They served one another. I don't just want my marriage to be okay. I want your marriage to be okay. I just don't want my family to be fine. I want your family to be fine. That's what this means, common, serving one another. If you're struggling, I'm struggling. And we've got a whole bunch of verses throughout Scripture. This is bear one another's burdens. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And that's where all of this comes from biblically. We need to care about the village, about the community, our other brothers and sisters who are in this new identity called in Christ. How do we do that? This is what happens again. We hope, this is our desire, that this happens best in relational environments like a small group. That we begin to care about one another. We, we care about what's going on in the community. We care about what's going on in the village, not just what's going on in my house, but what's going on in your house. And because of our oneness, we're sharing that and we're caring about that and we're praying for that and we're taking the Lord's Supper together and it's deepening that koinonia oneness that is in us. And we saw a video last week of a small group that loved on and cared for Doug and Melinda Irving last week and it was beautiful to watch how they wrapped around. And I want to show a video today of a small group that really went outside their own group and wrapped around their village and community. So guys, roll this video. Rockford is a special, special place. I've been here for 24 years. The kids are needy, but we love, love, love them. I feel like that Rockford is a mission for me. I've always felt that way. And three years ago, um, Leanne Harper and her small group came and they, they brought gifts and supplies that we needed and they asked us if, we, if they could pray with us. When our group went out to meet Mrs. Jones the first year, we uh, bought supplies and we took the supplies out there and she was so welcoming and the kids seemed to be so excited about having other people in the classroom. They have prayed for my students, and I could just feel that. As a Christian, I can feel the prayers. And um, this past year, I, I had some personal things. My husband was very ill, and my daughter was going through some rough times. I remember reaching out to her by email, by text, by phone, and she wasn't responding. And eventually she did, and she actually called me. And I remember that conversation um, one late night, she called and just shared with me everything that was going on in her life. They just loved on me, and um, 
from that, I started going to Foothills. I went alone. I was all by myself because my husband was too sick to go. And um, I just went out of desperation. Um, was the sermon called the, the Waiting Room Series. And uh, Pastor Trent was just, everything he said was just spot on. And um, it, was, it was very emotional for me. Um, but um, I felt God just really placed me right there. And um, he's continuing to work in my family. I think it comes down to we're making a difference as a church one person at a time. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, allowing God to use Foothills Church as the feet and the hands of Jesus. We just love our relationship with Foothills. It's been, it's been a godsend in all ways. I'm beginning to feel like Foothills is probably going to be our home. Isn't that beautiful? Let's give them a group a hand. <clears throat> If you don't know, Rockford is one of the places that we partner with, and we have small groups who are supposed to adopt a missional, externally focused ministry throughout the year as a group. And uh, Rockford is one of those places. We become the, the sort of the room moms to support the teachers at Rockford and to, uh, to provide for some of those students throughout the year as necessary. Serving one another caring about the village and those who are around us as much as we care about ourselves, willing to sacrifice our own needs for the needs of others. And then lastly, I just want to give the third characteristic is they were making disciples and multiplying. They were making disciples and multiplying. In verse 47, praising God and bring favor from all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They met with a purpose. They met devoted to this communal connection, devoted to the fellowship, the koinonia, the oneness. They were devoted to serving one another, and they were also devoted to the apostles' teaching. We see this in the large group and in the small group. In verse 46, at the beginning, day by day, they went to the temple. As we read on in Acts, we realize that they gathered inside the temple at a place called Solomon's Portico. If you have 3,000 people wanting to hear the word of God, you're going to need a large group structure, right? So they go to the temple day by day. Not once a week. They went to the temple, what does it say? Every day. Isn't that amazing? So we, 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 we go to church once a week and people go, every week we have to go? Every week, day by day, they were devoted to hearing the apostles teaching about Jesus Christ and his gospel. The spirit of God and the word of God is what changes us. We must be in this communal existence. We must be devoted and committed to the word of God, the apostles teaching. It's what changes us. It's what challenges us. It's what grows us. And we see that in this devotion to these things, the fellowship, the serving, the, the teaching and preaching of the gospel and the apostles' teaching, which was the word of Christ and the life of Christ, we see this amazing multiplication taking place. They were doing just what we're doing today, verse 47, praising God. 
listening to the apostles preach. It's what we're doing here, praising God and listening to the word of God. But let's look at the multiplication process as it began in chapter 1. Let me just walk quickly through. If you got your Bible, turn to chapter 1 and look at verse 15. After Jesus ascended back into heaven in verse 15, Peter stood up among the brothers and the sisters. The company of persons was about how many? 120. 120. Then Peter preaches. Chapter 2, the Spirit comes down from heaven and dwells people. This amazing Pentecost moment happens. And at the end of chapter 2, verse 47, uh, or uh, verse 41, it says, how many were added? 3,000 people were now added to the brothers in Christ. Then it goes over into chapter 4. In chapter 4, Verse 4, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about how many? 5,000. That was just men. That did not count the women and the children. So who knows? There could be close to 10,000 because women were coming to faith in Christ equally as fast, if not faster than the men. And then you drop down, keep going to chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, chapter 6, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the word of God and to the faith. This is amazing. 120, 3,000, 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe over 10,000 people. And then they just kept adding so much so that whoever the guy was in charge of counting just went, there's just a whole bunch. I, I can't, 5,000, that's enough to count. I don't want to count anymore. So Luke just like, there were more. <laughs> and there were more. And then there was more. But I don't know how many, there's just a bunch. This is, this, is, this is just how the Word of God and the Spirit of God moves, just so many. This is a picture of a healthy church, healthy groups, making disciples and multiplying. The Spirit is moving. The Word of God is being proclaimed everywhere by normal people, not professionals. Groups are multiplied. You know that more and more people more and more leaders had to be raised up to open up their homes. Especially when something shifted. As persecution increased in the chapters following chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and the disciples are being put into prison and beaten, the large group time disappeared. And all they had were meeting in homes. Can you imagine, Peter, and this is my job, so I'm very tender to this, small group pastor. So here's, I'm tender. Can you imagine Peter coming up to everybody and going, well, how'd it go today, Peter? Well, um, I preached a real short sermon. Great. Did anything happen? 
Yeah, yeah, like, like 3,000 people got saved. What? Yeah, 3,000 people. We're going to need more small groups. Yeah, yeah. So James and John go, yeah, I think so. And, 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 and we're going to need more homes. Yes. And we're going to need more leaders. Yes, we are. And so Peter says, yeah, everybody, there's 3,000 new people. We need, we need to branch. We need to multiply. And can you imagine some of those people going, well, I don't really want to. I like my group. <laughs> I like our people. We, we just started getting close to each other. I just want to stay right where we are. And in this day, if that would have happened, kind of like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, they may have dropped dead. <laughs> that would be something, right? And then you know what? Nobody would say that again, right? <laughs> the last person who said they didn't want to branch died. I, I feel like maybe we should just branch. <laughs> Let's multiply. Right. 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 So if it came down to that, multiply and branch or die, I think we would branch more. Don't you? I mean, I think, so, so here's 3,000. Then there's 5,000 men and women who are like, oh my gosh. If Peter was a small group leader, I mean, he would just be like, hair coming out. We need more leaders. We need more homes. We can't go to the temple anymore because when we go, they beat us up. We need more homes. And you know what? That's where we are. We talk and celebrate 50 new people a week just as first-time guests. And hundreds of people have now completed, just in this year, hundreds of people completed base camp, camp two, ready to be placed in a small group. We could have 150 or more people tomorrow night at Small Group Connect wanting to be placed in a small group. What are we going to say? Ah, we don't really want to branch. No, that's not an option. Raising up leaders quickly, the Holy Spirit indwelled, get out, branch groups, make more, make more room for those who are coming. Our number one goal in small groups, let's be clear in case you don't know, we eat, but it's not to eat. We fellowship, but it's not just a fellowship. Our number one goal is to grow maturing disciples of Christ. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted to the Word of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God, that's who changes people. We don't change people. God uses us as instruments, but it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that transforms the heart of people. We're devoted to that. We're devoted to making disciples. We're, we're devoted to multiplying. If you're one of those groups who want to stay, hey, let me just tell you, we need you to multiply. It's been discovered through lots of research that after about 18 months to 24 months, if you're together with the same group of people, there's a law of diminishing return. 
And instead of continuing to move toward maturity and health, you begin to go backwards into immaturity, comfort, and retreat. We need groups branching, healthy groups branch. It's not about my comfort. I'm going to sell possessions. I'm going to make room. I'm going to do whatever I have to do so that more people can experience this koinonia, this oneness. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, not only do you want your groups, our groups to grow and mature and multiply, but we want to grow individually. I don't want to be the same person next, in two weeks when we start small groups. I hope I'm not the same person in August that I will be next May. I want to grow. If I'm a spiritual infant, I want to be a spiritual child. If I'm a spiritual child, I want to be a spiritual teenager, young adult, parent. I want to grow. I want to mature. And the only way to do that The only way to do that is is to have real friends who help you grow closer to Jesus. To be in groups that do life together. And and I I don't want to to miss this important piece of all of this right here. They were devoted to it. Now, let me just ask a question. I've often heard people say, you know what? We tried the small group thing. It stunk. We had a bad leader. It did not go well. I don't want to do small groups again. I'm not going to give it another try. And I always think about that, say, okay, let me think about that. So I like to ask people, have you ever had a bad meal? Anybody ever had a bad meal? Some of you. I'd love to live the life of those of you who haven't. If you had a bad meal, you didn't walk away going, I'm never eating again. The food stunk. I'm done with eating. Did you ever see a bad movie? Nobody ever walks out of Regal going, never going to a movie again. Bad movie, changed me. Never going to a movie again. Somehow when it comes to spiritual things, like we give it a try and it stinks or it didn't work or we weren't comfortable and we go, never trying it again. Never trying small group, it didn't work. You know, here's, here's what you do if your small group didn't work. Go to another one. It's not really complicated. This is not rocket science. Go to another one. What if that one doesn't work either? Go to another one. And if you go to three or four that didn't work, then you'll know there's one common denominator between those three or four groups. <laughs> it's you. You're the bad meal. (laughs) You can't give up on God. You can't give up on wanting to grow closer to Christ. You can't give up on real friends who help you grow closer to Christ. You can't give up on being a real friend who helps others grow closer to Christ. You can't give up on doing life together if, if you are one of the in Christ culture people.
I always am challenged to say something so bold that it makes everybody mad, but, um, but I'll just risk it here. So does that mean if you don't want to get in a small group, you don't want to grow? You, you, you don't want help in growing closer to Christ? You, you don't want to do life together? I mean, that's, that seems like a, the, the right question, right? So I want to leave us with those questions. Small group connect us tomorrow night. We've just finished Real Friends, three weeks of really dialing into real, real friends, those who help you grow closer to Christ. Do you have a real friend that helps you grow closer to Christ? Do you have one? Second question is, are you a real friend that helps other people grow closer to Christ? That's really where I want to live. And then third question, are you doing life together with other same culture people so that we can help each other grow closer to Christ? Aren't those really good questions for believers? And what's our answer? I hope that this becomes part of your life. They were devoted to. Now, this word devoted, it means a whole lot. I don't have time to go into it, but they didn't dabble with this. They, they didn't show up when they could. They were devoted to these things. They rearranged their life schedule for that. They made it a priority. So children and games and all of the things life brings about, those were secondary. I'm devoted to this common culture of oneness with people. I'm devoted to serving my brothers and sisters. I'm devoted to the village. I'm devoted to the apostles' teaching. My life is characterized by this devotion. Real friends are characterized by this devotion. Wouldn't that be awesome if we all were? Like, that's who I am. This is what I do. You know what would happen, I think, if more of us did that? And the Lord added to their number daily. And many more came to faith in Christ. And more people gave their faith in Christ, even those of other religions. That's what would happen. That's what would happen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and bless you and thank you. You're a good God. We thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for what you want to do. Lord, we are a blessed people. We have been part of something that very few people in their life get to be a part of. We have seen and we are experiencing the movement of a holy God and his Holy Spirit moving among this place, this community, this village, these people. And Lord... It's because so many people here have devoted themselves to this. 
But Lord, not everyone has. Not everyone has. So for those who have devoted, I want to encourage you today and say thank you. Bless you in the name of Jesus. You're probably tired. Your soul is probably uh, has times of, of emptiness, but the Spirit of God is restoring you and refreshing you daily. Praise God for you. Thank you for branching. Thank you for multiplying. Thank you for devoting your life to making disciples and serving in the community and serving within the body of Christ and, and for the commonness that you have fallen in love with both here and around the world. Thank you. Bless you. God bless you. But some of you are not devoted. You're dabbling. You stick your foot in the shallow end of the pool. You've not rearranged your schedule or your priorities to make real friends, to be a real friend, to begin the process of what it means to growing and being a potential real friend. I pray the Holy Spirit would, would nudge you today, convict you today, challenge you today to know that there's more to life than whatever the stuff is that's blocking your ability to be devoted. Lord, we love you. We know that there's nothing greater on this planet than knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Nothing greater. He is our treasure, and there's no treasure on this earth greater than the treasure of Jesus. Let that burn in our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.